He tells stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. Hi, Macca. This is Na from Riverstone. How are you? Na, is it? Yes. How are you going, Na? Good to talk good, to you. Good, good. It's been six years since I moved to Australia, and tomorrow I'm going to attend my citizenship ceremony. It, it will be online. It was supposed to be held in mid-March, just in time for the lockdown, so it got cancelled. Good on you. Where were you from originally, no? China. So I moved here in 2014 as an international student. And then I graduated, got a job, then become PR, and now I'm going to become a citizen. <laughs> How's your job going? You still got a job? or? I work at uni. The hours have been cut, but so far, yeah, I still have a job. So I'm grateful. You excited? I am very excited. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I just want to thank you, Mecca. I've been listening to your program um, since, I think, four years ago, five years ago. I brought this radio and it becomes my alarm. Sometimes I don't put the alarm on, on Sunday, but sometimes I do. And I just listen to your program. It's very interesting. I learn a lot um, about life in all over Australia. I'm, I met a lot of kind people here. I love the people here. They're so chill. <laughs> <laughs> Even the people who call you like in your program, because in China, when people call in a program, they're like, oh my God, is it me? Is it me? Is it really me? <laughs> and now people hear, oh, hi, Micah. Yeah, good eye. How are you going? Yeah. How, are you, how are you doing? It's very comfortable. If you're rich or you ain't got a cracker, they tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Maggie. Get on with it, Maggie. I will. Good morning. As a chill settles over Australia, as autumn rolls on, people are out and about a little bit more, which was nice to see. Um, go past restaurants last night. Um, there's a few people sitting around and having dinner, and so that's all nice. And as long as we keep remembering what it's all about and uh, don't... Uh, make any mistakes. Uh, things should roll on pretty good. That was Nah last week. She, um, We should talk to Akel about her um, citizenship, which she got last Tuesday. She said, um, so chill. It's so chill. That's, it's amazing what people say. She said, so chill. And she found the program very comfortable. <laughs> That's really, isn't that a nice thing to say? Very, very comfortable. Um, our number is 1300 700 uh, there was a little thing I wanted to read to you here from David. He says, Well, Macca, having arrived back in the UK after 50 years in Australia, just prior to COVID uh, striking, I'm now converting Brits to listening to the show. It's early days. Yes, I bet it is. <laughs> it's early days. But the consensus is they find it highly enlightening and entertaining. Apart from my children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, who are all Aussies, the show minimises the effects of homesickness says David in the UK. Well, thank you, Dave. That's uh, nice to nice to uh, hear from you there in the UK. But uh, that conversion could take a long while. We'll have to start with you'd have to start with Boris, really, wouldn't you, Kel? If Boris was listening, everybody's listening. Interesting week, as usually. There's always lots of things. China's the main um, story, I suppose. Alan Jones is the main story. That was a big story. Hey, TUE, there, TUE. Very progressive station now, very progressives, full of progressives. Um, our number is uh, 1300 700 222. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. Phil speaking. G'day, Phil. 
What's happening? What are you doing? Where are you? Mate, uh, I am just coming into French's Forest. I, uh, I just finished shift um, working as a firefighter uh, at Gordon. So it's been a big 24 hours for me and uh, just coming home now. Family's probably still going to be asleep, but uh, hopefully they'll get up soon and uh, enjoy the morning and have a nice breakfast. There you go. So, Phil, you, I mean, compared to now, which is sort of cold and a little bit of drizzle around the place, um, I suppose your last couple of months were, were just a bedlam, were they? Mate, the, the fire season was absolute chaos. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Um, and we're certainly glad that's over. But, uh, no, coming into the colder months as a permanent firefighter, it, uh, it doesn't stop. It actually gets busier with uh, house fires increasing, uh, more people staying at home, and we've also got the, the COVID thing going on where we're assisting ambulance and uh, and police in those types of situations. Um, and sadly, we're seeing a spike in self-harm incidents and, and things like that that we're required to assist um, and it's funny, you were saying that the, uh, the people are out and about more. Well, you know, just this shift, it seems that people are out and about, but they've forgotten how to walk because we've had a lot of uh, bushwalkers kind of falling off cliffs and rolling ankles and all kinds of stuff. So it, it, it never stops. And maybe they're, um, and too, maybe they're people who, who, who don't walk. I mean, and they've got time on their hands and they decide because it seems to me when I go walk, because I have to walk the dog every morning as part of my lot in life uh, but I see a whole lot of people out that I've never seen before and a whole lot of dog, dogs are loving it dogs that never get they're stuck in their house all of a sudden dogs are everywhere they're being so but maybe they're people out walking who never haven't walked much before Phil I, I think you're right I think you're 100% right the uh, you know the the uh the trail runners seem to be sailing past effortlessly, but uh, yeah, a lot of the people we got uh, yesterday, for example, were were people that maybe weren't walking in the bush a lot, and um, yeah, it was hard yakka lugging some of them out, you know, kilometres down rough uh, rough tracks. So certainly getting a sweat going, but um, yeah, I think you're right. I think the uh, use of walking parks in the bushes, uh, walking tracks in the bushes certainly um, gone through the roof with all this COVID. So, yeah, yeah. and it's interesting, isn't it, when you look around the world and see the carnage that it's wreaked around the world and we haven't had, you know, comparatively, we've been fairly safe. And somebody said a week or two ago, and I say this because we were talking about bushfires and things like that, they said that I think 150,000 trips to Australia were were cancelled during the bushfire season because of uh, they said oh the fire and the smoke don't go to australia um and mm. and that maybe saved a lot of um a lot of visitors from overseas because most of that has come from overseas so and a lot of that has been saved we were saved in some ways by the bushfires if you know what i mean yeah yeah well you know i was uh looking to take off down to glenbog for a bit of uh hunting on my days off and um it will be interesting to see how that's affected the bush and uh, and the wildlife with the the break from humanity over the COVID crisis, as opposed to the bushfires that caused such devastation to the wildlife. So, um, yeah, interesting times. Um, I, I certainly know a lot of people are hurting out there in the community. We see them all the time, but um, hopefully we can all get back to normal and uh, get back to our lives and shops can reopen and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and learn how to walk. <laughs> 
<laughs> and learn how to walk. <laughs> Phil, so must have some good for him. Yeah, enjoy your breakfast, mate. Nice to talk to you. Good on you. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Maga. My name's Lorette. I'm the cook at um, Victoria River Downs. Oh, good day, Lorette. I just mentioned VRD a little while ago. <laughs> in our weather I know, in... so I thought I'd bring, and I think um, you said we're getting a bit of weather our way. Yeah, well, it, I I think so. It's just I can grab it it's over there. I... Yeah, I'll have a look while you yeah, tell me how long you've been a cook on VOD, Lorette. Uh, the last three years. Oh, and how's that? Good, really good. We've got, um, I cook for around about 20 people. So um, start to do their breakfast in the morning and then right through to dinner um, and all their biscuits and cakes and what have you. But um, it's a, you know, it's a big job, but it's a good job. Really good people. We landed at VRD. Look, I'm not sure. Five, ten years ago, I'm not sure. And the heli- I talked to the yeah, yeah, the helicopter pilots um, were there yeah. re- repairing because they were doing. I think some of them they work on VRD, and some of them did tourist things up uh, the Catherine Gorge and things like that. I'm I'm pretty sure. But it, look, that's yeah. it, it's at least ten ten years ago. I'd say ten years ago. We're on our way to and from. Yeah, uh, to and from somewhere. Here, I'll read you this. Okay. Late Tuesday, a northwest cloud band, that's an NWC. <laughs> I love how yeah. he uses um, <laughs> uh, an NWCB, northwest cloud band, streams into the Pilbara and Kimberley. Light rain with isolated embedded storms move into the Kimberley, reaching VRD Wednesday and the Curry Thursday. So there you go. That's, there we go. We might get a little bit more rain. Yeah, a little bit. You've had a bit? Um, yes, we've, the season's been good to us now. The um, all of the water courses are sort of full and our billabongs and, you know, um, but this rain will be a good top up as long as it doesn't um, turn the roads, you know, to sort of like make them impassable for the stock camp to get through. Now, Lorette, your... problem. Yeah. Lorette, your uh, restaurant on VRD hasn't been locked down and you haven't been doing takeaways? <laughs> Not well, no. Um, we've, we're, you know, observing all the social distances um, and... Um, we have to be very careful. We're sort of locked down here. And then, of course, we've got Hallie as well. They've got another 20 staff. So we're sort of in a little bit of a bubble here. Um, but we can't have any tradespeople or anyone else coming anywhere near my kitchen. Um, so it has affected us. Yeah. And also the stock camp won't be able to go or anyone won't be able to go any, to any rodeos or camp drafts this year. And that was a big social outlet. So yeah, I guess we're trying to... Um, do some, you know, create a few fun nights like, um, say, film night, more barbecues and little social events that we can have here to keep, you know, everybody, also, I guess, socialising. <laughs> yeah, and where where have you worked before VRD, Lorette? Um, I've worked up and down the um, uh, Gibb River Road, starting, I think you spoke to Billy Forrester from Kimberley Downs. Mm-hmm. I don't, a little while ago. Um, so, uh, Mornington Station, uh, Liberinga, and you, uh, and you Liner. like you like the life. I do. It's a great life. It can be. Um, you have to like your own company. Mm. Um, but um, they're a very grateful and kind crew here, and um, you know it's a nice place to be. Very simple um, life. Um, I do all my own butchering, which I've learned over the last couple of years. Um, and I find that fascinating. I'm always finding a new cut or because um, we kill all, all our own beasts here. Um, and I find that a fascinating new skill that I've learned. 
Yeah, there you go, VRD. Eh? We had a lovely time yeah. there. And, uh, and a mate of mine um, used to be the accountant on VRD, look, I don't know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Really? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we've got a bit of connection. No, it's a lovely, it's, and you know it's a very, very pretty station too. I'm trying to um, start up a bit of veggie, a veggie garden at the moment, but that's extremely difficult because our days are still up to 30, 35, um, 40. Uh-huh. They can be, and then at night time, We've had a few cold cold nights, but we're really, you know, around the twenties at night still, so it's still quite warm. I think uh, I think it's going to change soon, Lorette. I just <laughs> well, I think on Thursday you've given me the um, no, I think it's promise, t- haven't you, Macca? Tuesday, Wednesday, I think it is. Uh, didn't I say oh, okay. Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday? I think. Well, we've actually got Tuesday, Wednesday off, so um, well, maybe um, we like to go out and do a bit of barra fishing and different oh, things, but dear. we'll just see what the weather does. Lorette, it's lovely to talk to you uh, this morning yes, on v- VRD. I hope to get to see you sometime. Well, I would love it if you could come up here, maybe when everything changes. Um, you know, it's a busy station and, you know, we've still got all the choppers have left this morning to go mustering and I can see the fixed wing over there heading out. So, you know, it's a, it's, yeah, it's an exciting life. We love it here, Macca. Good on you, Lorette. Great to talk to you. And I love here, love listening to you every Sunday. It's sort of... You know, I've been listening to you for many, many years, and it just sort of brings a bit of connection back. I'll say we're connected all over the uh, all over the joint, uh, Loretta. Even with yep. uh, Neil there and Yaram looking at his, what's his name? Hes- I know. Hesco. Did you? Oh, that was really interesting. How do you spell that? Because I will Google. I suppose it's I don't know H E S C O. I'd say Hesco. Would you? And it was in um, Yaram. Well, that's well, yeah, but he's done stuff in other places too. Exciting. Well, I'm from Stall originally, and. Um, and I love all the artwork on uh, that they've got around the Wimra. Yeah, and he's done silos. some of the silos on uh, in, in uh, Rochester. I think he'd done some and okay. Weath Alley and and all 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 sorts of places. I'll get you to cook okay. me a meal, Lorette. Um, yeah, you'd be. I would love to. <laughs> Good on you, lovely. Whatever to... you want. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> lovely to talk to you, Lorette. Same, Macca. You have a wonderful day, and like I love listening to you. So good on you. I'll keep keep listening. I'll go back and do my dishes now. <laughs> okay. Good on you. Bye. Bye. A lot of response to our story last week about John Bird and submarines and the merchant seamen who were lost off our coast. Our story concerned two young blokes. Uh, there was uh, a very young, <laughs> Bernie O'Brien, who was 17, and John Bird, who was 15, who were aboard the SS Fingal when it was sunk off the Australian coast near Coffs Harbour in May 42 by a Japanese submarine. Huge carnage on Australia's shipping routes during World War II. Horrific casualty rate. Ships were from the USA and Britain, Dutch ships and, of course, Australian ships. Most feared to sail in were the BHP ore carriers, the Iron Knight, the Iron Crown, the Iron Chieftain, whose hulls, apparently, because of all the ore, were so stressed that they broke in two as soon as a torpedo hit them and disappeared within a minute. This email came in from Jeff Peterson. He says, just caught the tail end of the 15-year-old sunk off our east coast in 42 and survived. BHP lost a number of ships, including the Iron Crown, a 38 crew lost of the 43. Coincidentally, the wreck was discovered recently by an investigative team and they were going to dive on it to inspect it. That was in 2019. BHP unveiled a plaque at their Newcastle office just after the war, listing all the merchant marine sailors lost in their ships during the war. Wouldn't it be nice if BHP had some ships still. We still had Australian ships manned by Australian crews. <sighs> oh dear. Remember Captain Slim used to ring us from the Iron Wyala? From all over the world he used to ring. But anyway, back to the story. This is John, John. This is what John Bird said. He was on board. They'd left port. 
and he was he'd been working around. He was a bit tired, so he thought I'll go down and get into my bunk because the bosun had been giving him a hard time anyway. He says I climbed into my top bunk when a terrific explosion occurred. The force of it bounced me on the roof to the floor, where quite dazed. I thought it was violence on the part of the bosun who'd been after him. Water started pouring down the rear ladder, double staircase to the deck, and then I realised the ship might well be sinking. On reaching the stern of the ship, the single propeller was shooting a huge spray high in the air. I then noticed a long white trail of wake coming from right to left across and very close to our stern. I realised it was a torpedo that had missed us. Wonder if we'll get another one, I thought. I'd put on a life jacket, but had not even done it up. I started to run towards midships and was on number four hatch when another violent explosion sailed me feet into the air. I landed back on the hatch, which was now half open, with the canvas covers all shredded. My leg got caught in something and I thought, if this is dying, it's pretty easy. I then blacked out. Unbeknown to myself, an elderly Norwegian crewman then came upon the scene and finding me lying on the hatch unconscious, did my life jacket up. Then as the water was flooding around his feet, he carried me and put me in the water. I woke up floating in the sea with another Norwegian seaman with me. Apparently I was mumbling about swimming to shore and he slapped my face several times and I became aware of the situation. We were holding on to floating timber. Several times I thought I saw dark shadows pass under me and thought of sharks. But the thought of sharks was not a real concern for the state of mind I was in. Soon we drifted to an upturned damaged lifeboat with several men sitting on it and I was allowed to climb half onto it. Several more men soon drifted to us but only held onto the upturned lifeboat as it was not very buoyant. The sea was quite rough now and occasionally we had glimpses of the American destroyer USS Patterson zooming around dropping depth charges, the concussions of which we could feel in the water. An RAAF Avro Anson aircraft appeared overhead and wiggled its wings as a message that we'd been seen, then disappeared. Later we were to learn that the destroyer was virtually under orders to leave the scene because of its danger and apparently was soon fast disappearing towards the horizon. What later happened was that one of the aircraft witnessing the scene flew after the destroyer and heliographed survivors at scene of sinking, and the destroyer captain had no alternative but to return and look for survivors. This by now was at last light, after 5pm. The Patterson lowered a sane boat quickly and then sped off, and the sane boat travelled around finding those of us in the water. In all, 19 were saved and 12 were lost. We were soon taken aboard the destroyer and the following morning taken to Newcastle Harbour. Those of us who could walk were declared OK the sick or injured, taken to hospital. I was given a few clothes by some charitable organisation, then a train ticket to Sydney. I arrived home last ferry to Manly at midnight to knock on their family door to announce I'd been torpedoed. No medical checkup, no, what do they call it nowadays, counselling? And it's interesting to note too, as the controversy about what submarines Australia should buy or should have bought continues, the Japanese torpedoes during the war had a range of 11 miles, speed of 60 knots, oxygen fueled, carried a thousand pounds of TNT and were unmatched by any Navy, the Germans included, and the Germans were well known for their U-boats. Maybe we should have bought the, Jap- the Japanese subs. And a final note from little Johnny Bird, who was 15 at the time. We had a great deal of trouble with the wharf labourers who resented a ship's crew watching the in-hold work from the top of the hatch. They were not going to be spied upon and threatened several times to stop work. They were broaching, that is, breaking open many of the cartons of biscuits, PKs and general stores, which were in those days pretty hard to buy, and desired no witnesses to their theft. G'day, this is Macca. Macca, Jeff from Campbelltown in the Midlands, Tasmania. Hi, Jeff. So, uh, just a couple of things. 
spoke to you a couple of years ago. Uh, I was recovering from leukemia in Royal Melbourne Hospital and talking up the healthcare system, how wonderful it was. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the COVID-19 situation, we all now really appreciate our healthcare workers and what they've done for us. I'm very happy to be alive two years on, going well. Um, went through the same pain that our ex-Deputy Prime Minister went through, and unfortunately, he didn't make it, but um, I did. However, through a mutual contact, your rowing correspondent, Mark Campbell, mm-hmm. you uh, have found out that uh, I'm involved with a manufacturing business in Wagga that manufactures sheep yards and cattle yards. And um, we want to invite you down there so you can see what we do. <laughs> Australian steel, Australian labour, Australian manufacturing. We put sheep yards up around, uh, all around Australia, sheep yards and cattle yards. Good on you. Bit of a success story, especially in this current environment where we now realise that uh, relying on overseas importing and manufacturing is not doing us uh, the best at the moment. Your, your grandmother would say to you, don't put all your eggs in one basket, not talking about Australia, but just talking about things in general. But isn't, isn't, you know, that's just all those little maxims, they still work. They just, you know, they survive the eons. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's just like don't invest in, every, in the same thing. Don't do this. Don't. And, you know, it's just coming home to roost now, Jeff. But good on you. Uh, and you're yeah, using Australian good. steel. Is that hard to get hold of? Uh, no, it's not. No, no. We uh, we can source Australian steel to our spec and, um, you know, it's high quality, obviously. Some of our pricing is a bit higher than the competitors at import, but, you know, most people that look for value um, appreciate that. And this business has been going for 20 years, so we would like to invite you next time you're in Wagga Wagga to pop in. Have a look. We've got about 100 staff on the payroll, so maybe you could come and see what we do. As soon as we get loose, as uh, soon as we're allowed to travel, Jeff, we'll be there with knobs on, mate, um, and, and good on you. Was, uh, you're in Campbelltown, Tasmania. That wasn't named after Mark, was it? Uh, no, it's not named after <laughs> Mark, but uh, I'm sure he's been there. <laughs> he's a good Jeff. guy. Yeah, I've known him for years, but anyway, I caught up with him recently at a rowing function, and he said, uh, yeah, Mac, I wanted to know about this manufacturing. He's a bit interested in it, so, so I thought I'd phone for it. So what's the name of your place, well, your, um, your company? Uh, the company's called Proway Livestock Equipment. It's pretty well known in the ag circles, and especially with the, the rain recently. I mean, it's been, been going well for four or five, a long time, but, you know, in the last uh, two or three years, um, especially in southern Australia, the order books are pretty full. Yes. Things are going well. Um, farmers are investing at the moment, as you know, and, um, yeah, it's a good news story. Good on you, Jeff. Uh, nice to talk to you. I'll see you in Wagga sometime. Right, you, thanks, Mac. You, you, cool, you cool in Campbelltown this morning? Uh, it's about one and a half degrees and yeah, but we've had a great season, you know, there's grass everywhere. Farmers are happy. Sheep are fat. It's all good. Good on you, Jeff. Right. Righto. Cheers. See you, mate. Good morning, Macca. Hi, Terry. Uh, it's Terry from Broadford. How Hi. are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Terry. That's good. Um, I'm actually just ringing in to give a shout out and just a bit of a, to let people know what's going on with our Brumbies. Um, well, tell us. In, yeah, um, there's a wonderful fellow, Phil Maguire, at the moment that's headed up or has been up on the Bogong High Plains over this weekend trying to muster up some Brumbies to put them safely on his uh, property uh, as they're actually due to be uh, colours due to start tomorrow with our um, Brumbies on the Bogong High Plains. Uh, apparently there are also plans for um, Nanyong and um, the Barmer State Forest. Um 
So just that's in Victoria just, or in New South Wales, the Victorian Alps. Uh, yeah, Victorian Alps. Yeah, and they're, and they're uh, doing the same thing in the in the snowies in New South Wales, aren't they? This I is, believe so. Yeah, the, the, unfortunately, I'm not right across it. I'm just very passionate. You know, I grew up. My, I'm in Broadford, Victoria now, but uh, my heart is in the Victorian high country. Mm. Um, well, look, we'll talk about we'll talk about it a bit more this morning. Um, but there's a cull; they call it a cull. But there's some aerial shooting going on. Um, and and that, yeah, that's what concerns me. I just find, you know, I understand that sometimes, you know, that there's a need for culling. Um, but I believe it's very it's a bit misplaced when I, you know, my family have lived in the high country for many years, and you know, even before the bushfires, my uncle had taken me up to witness the devastation caused by the pigs. You know, up there, mm. just absolutely bulldozing those wet plains up there, and also the um, and also the deer and the reindeer. They need to get rid of them too. But, exactly, and but, I just and I just think maybe prioritise. You know, what's what's doing the most damage? I'm just concerned that the way that that it's going is that it's, you know, the brumbies are perhaps an easier target. Terry, um, tell but, me this: your your friend is up there mustering now, trying to get them onto a private property, is he? Yeah, look, I shouldn't say friend. It's just it's somebody that I've come across because I'm passionate about the cause and he obviously is too. And I believe oh, well. Bill Kelly, the MP, has been um, right behind him. But he yeah, has organised a group to go up and muster some of these um, Brumbies as many as they can. Although he said, you know, obviously it's quite icy here in Broadford today. I'm sure it's much icier up on the Bogong High Plains. I'll say, I'll say. But um, trying to get some skilled horsemen to get some back to safety so at least that we can save... Some of them well, until. you'd think you'd you'd think that um you know you'd think you could muster some of the brumbies. There's, there's too many, and often there is. It's like you know, look at look at the ferals around Australia. There's so many. There's th- hundreds of thousands of donkeys, hundreds yes. of thousands of camels, goats. Yep. Well, don't even count the goats. Um, no. there, and there's wild dogs. There's cats yep. that are decimating our thing. There's pigs which are decimating the whole. The and there's pigs and in the snowy mountains and and the Alps. People don't know there's reindeer no. as big as you no. know. And they'll stand in the middle of the road and. Uh, they're, they're big brutes, I think. Oh, yeah. So, so there's a yeah, lot of work. You'd, and, yeah, you'd think we could so muster some brumbies. Every I know everybody, every Australian, wherever they live, would love a horse. Um, yep. That we could muster them and maybe I don't know find homes for them. I don't know. I don't know. But it seems a bit, uh, yeah. And they should have been doing this ages. They should have been mustering. It's a bit like the bushfires. We should have been burning oh, off. Well, I mean, and the mountain cattlemen used to do just that. Yeah. You know, which you know we've lost those people that have got that history and that have got that knowledge they've acquired over many generations yeah and and i just think and i think you know they would have done the count for the brumbies before these horrific bushfires you yeah. know i've got a lot of our history was lost you know our family yeah. old family home well, in the fires i know terry i'm going to talk about it a bit more this morning because i know a lot of people are getting a lot of letters about it there must be a better way as we say about everything good on you terry nice yeah. to talk to you thank, thank you. you thank you very much it's a pleasure thank you. bye, bye. Oh, g'day Macca. this is kim calling in from the blue mountains g'day kim how are you i'm very good how are you yeah all right yep I just heard you talking about uh, feral horses, and uh, I've had a lot of uh, involvement with them, so I thought I'd give you a call and have a chat. Yeah, good. On you. We, we've I've been inundated with um, <laughs> uh, well, all this week, not uh, not just now. That I was talking to who was it, um, Terry in Broadford, um, and there's a cull going. I think taking place next week. Is it Monday in 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 uh, in Victoria and uh, in New South Wales too? Of uh, of uh, uh, of horses up in the in the snowies. What do you know about Correct. it, uh, Kimmy? 
Well, I, I, I worked for national parks for almost 40 years and I worked in Kosciuszko and uh, Canangra Boyd National Park and uh, uh-huh. was intimately involved in the removal of uh, all vertebrate pests. We don't discern between vertebrate pests. We uh, have to destroy pigs, uh, deer, wild dogs, cats, mm. goats, the same as we have to destroy feral horses because they're all threatening the environment they're threatening our our own native flora and fauna and you have to you have to make up your mind whether you want to protect australian native flora and fauna or you want to let the uh feral horses have free reign in cozy and destroy them sure i i I understand that too i just wonder why we haven't been doing it and maybe mustering them because i know a lot of people there there is a you know i've been inundated as i said so there's there's obviously a lot of feeling about horses because horses have a special place in australia not like wild pigs or and and deer deer are a big problem too in the in the mountains according to my uh, contacts but but so why can't we have maybe mustered them out and um um, over the years to it's a bit like the bushfire problem we had this big bushfire problem because we'd let it build up over years and years and years and all of a sudden we've got a huge problem well, that, that's almost true, Macca, but that's, that's for another day. But I can tell you now, national parks have been running mustering programs for many, many years, a long time, and spending significant amounts of uh, taxpayers' money on those programs. Mm. They're extremely expensive when they're running remote areas because you, you, you still have to use aircraft. You have to get into those, access those locations, like I've done on many occasions. And I can tell you now, just a, a figure for the for the listeners to dwell upon is that it can cost anything up to $5,000 a feral horse to get them out of a remote area and rehome them. It's a very, very expensive operation. But now, we have got, we have been mustering them for many, many years. Kim, tell me this. How many um, feral horses uh, would there be? And it, how, how, how's it built up over, I don't know, the last 10? Obviously, it's, well, it's, I mean, this has been a... They've been talking about this for for many years, but well, I, I'll, I'll, has the herd built up uh, significantly in the last you know, I don't know five ten years? Indeed, and that's because um, it, it's probably up around. It could be anything from eight to ten thousand or more in Kosciuszko National Park, and that's because the politicians. It's such a sensitive issue. The politicians won't bite well bite the bullet literally and say get on with it. And I, and the most humane to way to do it is probably aerial culling i have to say and um i've been up in the aircraft while we've been culling and i've ap- absolutely uh been intimately involved in it and it's 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 more humane than mustering them because mustering them really really stresses them stresses them to the max it's mm. unbelievable how stressed they get when you're trying to muster them out of a park load them up put them in holding pens and um they're just wild animals they're wild animals and they yeah. don't like being being treated that way you know so it's uh, you got to make up your mind whether we uh, whether we look after our magnificent flora and fauna, sure. or we let the uh, the brumbies trample uh, 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 that those species down in Kosciuszko National Park. Yeah, and there's a lot of I spoke to my mate uh, Nick who lives down there, and he he told me about driving home one morning through Coomera or something, and this huge big deer came out yep. and stood in the. <laughs> Same thing. Huge brute of a thing. And he said, just great horns on it like you wouldn't believe. And so they're, they're out of control, aren't they? They certainly are. Most definitely. And we've been destroying them too because they have no part to play in the ecosystems in national parks. But we're the same as farmers. Farmers are doing it to, uh, to safeguard their crops and their pastures and that. And we work in very closely with primary producers and forestry. And we do a, 
a whole of landscape approach. We go across a broad landscape to control vertebrate pests, and we do it to all different species of vertebrate pests. We can't, we cannot discern. You just can't do it. Yeah, well, we we need to uh, uh, when we finish uh, work, and uh, we'll never finish work on on uh, feral animals. So I've, no, ju- I've just been no. talking to uh, about the marla, which I'll um, a bit later in the program, but. Um, Feral cats and uh, foxes and stuff like that—they are really—they're really decimating our native uh, little flora and uh, fauna, well, aren't that, they? That's that's right. And look at the corroboree frog in Kosciuszko National Park. Their habitats are absolutely being trampled by um, feral horses, and uh, we need to do something about it. And I, I have to take my hat off to Matt Keane, the new minister for the environment. I believe he's going to do something about it because. Um, that's what has to be done. It has to be done. Kim, uh, you're in the Blue Mountains uh, of New South Wales, is that right? That's correct, yeah, up at Blackheath in the Blue Mountains, yeah. Lovely part of the world. I'll say, a bit cool there this morning. Nice to talk to you, Kim. Thanks for your call. Not a problem. Thanks, Macca. Good Bye-bye. on you. Ted's in Bondi. Morning, Ted. Morning, Macca. Uh, a couple of things. A bit of smoke haze around today. Uh, they're doing a, a, some backburning somewhere or other. So uh, looking out towards the Harbour Bridge, it's uh, you can see the bridge quite clearly, but not the Blue Mountains as we usually can do. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was that it should be mandatory for citizenship to listen to a month of Macus programs <laughs> and then have a little multiple choice exam. <laughs> yeah, and, well, uh, Macca would probably fail it too. Um, <laughs> when you hear of... Um, Places like Wollamai, I don't think I've been to Wollamai. Um, is that where she lived? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Wollamai, yeah. Um, near, in, somewhere in Tasmania, wasn't it? Near yeah. Phillip Island? No, Phillip Island, yeah, that's South, Victoria. South. Victoria, yeah, South Victoria that's right, yeah. South Gippsland. And the, the, um, the other thing is I, I, I'm a retired doctor and I'm just pleading with people to avoid confined spaces indoors with poor ventilation. Mm. That's what's going to spread this virus. So... Um, that's just what I wanted to say. It's a beautiful day. I've been for my COVID-19 walk. I walk seven or eight kilometres every morning. And then I'm locked up again because I'm over 70 and uh, they want us locked up. So all those over 70, you've got to be extra careful. Yeah, Ted, if you, uh, if you found, if you've been called back into, you haven't been, you, there was a time when they were going to call doctors and nurses back into um into work, but we haven't had the we haven't had the influx certainly yet, have we? That uh, that other people have had overseas with with no, we've done we've done brilliantly. I did go back on the register in case, but uh, I um, I think uh, well, there won't be any need. Yeah, I did retire a couple of years ago, so they put us back on and said if you want not to be on, I stayed on in case there was some telemedicine available. Where you can help people over the uh, over the Skype or the uh, FaceTime, but there hasn't been any need, so uh, it's going well. I think uh, I think people need people to talk to um, Ted too, uh, uh, if you know what I mean. I think that's one of the things that, um, as Sylvia was just alluding to, you need to have. Uh, it needs to be that we um, find people to talk to or people in need. Some people are on their own; they need to talk to people. That's very important too, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, and I, I would be available for something like that. But the the uh, there hasn't been a need. There are psych- I have a friend who's a psychiatrist, and he does telecounselling. Gastroenterologist does counselling, uh, not counselling consultation. A couple of GP friends also do uh, distance um, 
consultations, yep. and that seems to be going quite well. Ted, my friend who's a musician who lived there, he said, uh, I said, where do you live? He said, Bondi. He said, I said, Bondi. He said, yeah, believe me, if you're not living in Bondi, you're camping out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a morning dipper. I normally swim every morning at six uh-huh. with a bunch of people down at the beach. But uh, I, I haven't for the last uh, couple of months because of the lockdown. Yeah, <clears throat> just keep 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 uh, at home and go out only when necessary. So stay away from close places. I mean, it's all, it seems to me to be all right once you're outside and in the breeze and all that sort of stuff. I Absolutely think. correct. Yes, yeah. uh, I think uh, closed environments with poor ventilation—that's uh, where the problems all. Uh, Start off again, I think. Yeah, well, we, we've got to get through winter. Let's hope we do, and let's hope things keep uh, keep uh, winding down, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. In, in the meantime, see what you can do about getting your show put onto the mandatory citizenship studies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Teddy. <laughs> all right, after this is all over, I'll come and see you, Ted. I'll come and have a surf at Bondi with you. Okay, body surf, not a board. Yeah, I'm no, body surf, body surf, yep, yep. Okay, that'll, thanks, Macca. Good on you, Ted. Thanks, Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. Hello, Macca. It's Chris here from Melbourne. Hi, How Chris. Are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, Macca, I've been listening for years and I want to thank you for connecting people and brightening all your listeners' Sundays. You make a huge contribution. Well, but I also... Go on. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. That's the people who make the contribution, Chris. <laughs> I just do my best. Go on. Well, you do a great connecting. Um, Look, I just had a thought that there's so much sadness in the world at the moment with COVID, um, and we've been so lucky here in Australia. I wondered, um, in the past we made flowers, crocheted and knitted and things for Gallipoli, and I wondered if we could do a similar thing um, and send them with a message with love to you from Australia to people in these um, badly affected countries. and like we did with the Gallipoli, uh, the red poppies, yep. but we could do it with bright coloured flowers. And um, those who couldn't knit or crochet, um, we could make cardboard hearts um, or make them out of felt, whatever you can, uh, and write the same message. And kids could do it too. They could decorate them and write, you know, with love to you from Australia. And I thought it might be a a nice idea to send to these people and we could probably best send them to the uh, embassies of the various countries and they could forward them on to the areas where they're most needed for the relatives of victims. That's a it's a lovely idea, Chris. Because uh, there's, as I said, I think I've said the last couple of weeks or so, nothing like getting a letter, especially unsolicited and, and a surprise letter. Somebody's written, and it's the same thing. If you get a little thing in the post with a little flower, something that somebody's knitted, I get nice little cards here uh, from time to time, and they're and they're little special cards, the cards that are people, and it's just so touching. And I think, as you say, there's a lot of yeah. sadness around the world at the moment, and we don't need any more sadness. Um, so, um, yeah, anything that we can do is individuals to help. It's a great idea, Chris. Well, there's lots of people who've got spare time now and we could just put attach a safety pin to them and they could wear them as a little brooch and have a little card attached with the message. Um, or kids, you know, can um, decorate hearts, um, all different sizes, and we could do it via the embassies. I can't think of a better way. And then they could send them to the areas of most need for the relatives and also for the elderly and lonely. 
um, a little message like that would uh, yeah may brighten their day. We'll try and do something uh, anyway, with with that. Just but a thought. yeah, and and there's lots of people who are sitting at home alone and can't go out, especially exactly. elderly people yeah. who who would love a, a a letter. I'm trying. I'll try and get an address for people to do it, and they'd like to write a letter too. I think. Good on you, Chris. And- L- Lovely. All right. Quickly. Thank you're again. you again, Macca, for everything. That's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Nice to talk to you. Good on you. Okay. Lots of love. See bye. See you. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.